Hello, everyone, and welcome to this very special episode of the Hired Geek Podcast, episode number 161 with Lee Bradshaw. So this brings in my day job at Noodle that uh, anybody who's uh, looked at my LinkedIn profile or any of my social profiles probably knows already, but I don't talk about it a lot on the podcast, kind of uh, let that be its own thing, but that kind of crosses over here. Lee has uh, a podcast that he hosts for Noodle, the most interesting people in higher ed. I will be a guest on that in the near future, so keep an eye out for that. But uh, this episode just talks about Lee's background and his perspectives on a lot of various topics. It's a wide-ranging conversation. I really enjoyed it, and I think you will as well. So thank you for checking this one out and listening. Uh, without further ado, this is episode number 161 with Lee Bradshaw. All right. We are here for what is a very special episode for me. It's kind of my worlds colliding and... Uh, <laughs> For folks who keep up with all the episodes, I, I just recorded the intro for the one that's coming out this week. This is like the week uh, episode that was on August 10th that came out. Uh, my voice is a little deeper than usual, if you're noticing. Um, good ears. Uh, I want to make sure we still were able to get to this really special episode where, uh, you know, if you if you know me, you know, I uh, my day job is working at Noodle and I do this podcast on the side. Noodle has its own podcast, and we thought it'd be really cool to do kind of a crossover episode. So I will be on an upcoming episode of uh, The Most Interesting People in Higher Ed. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, but we are here today for the Hired Geek podcast uh, with the host of uh, Noodle's podcast, Lee Bradshaw. But we will uh, start out as we always do. Lee, if you want to introduce yourself and give a brief overview of your professional background and how you got to be where you are today. Sure. Thanks, Dustin. Uh, and it's it's fun to have... Uh... It's fun to be on here. I feel like we we slack at work <laughs> or email there, but this is um this is a little more adventurous. So my background, I'll just start and say it's it's nowhere interest nowhere near as interesting as a lot of the guests on the show we put together at Noodle. Um, but I'll 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 do my best. So my 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 background is mostly in startups, and um, almost all of those are in education technology. And one of them was my my first company in uh, in college, which was a fitness company called Fitnoak um, out of Virginia. Um, we were the first partner of Fitbit back in the day when they were first launching their program. And then I heard about a company called Map My Run that was coming out that had some serious funding backed by some serious people. And I said, you know what? I'm 19. Let's let's uh, let's try something different. I think I'm going to get swallowed whole here. Uh, we moved on. And then I reached out to some friends at Virginia Tech, actually, who were starting an education company. And that's kind of how I got into all this. Uh, we were starting a kind of a democratized uh, test bank which later turned into uh, some of the pieces of Chegg. Um, and then I went on to Unigo and got in the world test prep. And then I was at 2U, um, John Katzman's uh, last company uh, before this one. And then uh, about five, six years ago, kind of saw where the, uh, the world was going. And it looked more like, uh, more like Noodle than it did the, any of the incumbents in this industry and said, mm -hmm. you know, John, I'd love, to, I'd love to work with you on this as you get it together and put it and launch it. And you know, now it's been, what, five, six years? Kind of crazy. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Um, well, and I guess, do you feel like there's anything that like just generally like pulled you towards like education technology or education in particular, mm. just since like you did start somewhere else, but if it was just sort of like, oh, it happened to be the next thing, but you found that you really liked it or just how that sort of came to be? Yeah. I mean, I was, I've, I've always had a curious mind, but I've not always been a great student. Uh, and mm. it's, it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to say that on an education podcast. I love to learn. I just wasn't good at learning in group settings a lot of the time. Uh, and, and through traditional higher ed. And when I started to find out ways you could, you know, you could learn in a more dynamic setting or an online setting, I became kind of obsessed with the idea of being part of the, part of the solution there. So it was, um, 
a piece of uh, self-interest uh, and a piece of like the more I peeled back the onion, the more I saw there's a lot of good people doing this uh, and trying to work with universities or just work on stuff outside of the university purview. And I don't know, had had a hard time leaving it. So it was uh, self-motivated, I guess you could say. Well, and I think it's like a niche enough thing to where like if you get in and you're good at it and you enjoy it then it's like hey you can stay here as long as you like because it can be hard you know for somebody who may be air dropping in with you know who's never worked on a campus or with the campus or right. anything like that right. like so yeah i've just sort of observed that but just so you know i think it's relevant to the conversation here just super quickly um you know, I guess kind of maybe like the elevator pitch version, like explain briefly what Noodle does. Obviously, I know, but sure. for everyone's sake, sure. you just want to uh, give that context. I, I often think of Noodle not only as a network of top universities um, delivering online at, and hybrid education and, and all the things that I think a lot of people know us to do as in the online program management space, but also uh, we're a bit of a challenger. Like if you look mm. at the history of what Noodle's done, we've said, this, this is an industry we knew at an acute level or molecular level. We're going to change it into something we believe is better for, for higher ed and its students. And that was really the, the mandate. That was like, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get into the details. We're going to explode it. And then we're going to build it in a way that we think is the best possible version of it. Uh, it being online education and public-private partnerships. And so like, we are a t- you know, 500 people now. Um, you, you and I are two of them, 500 people delivering online education with some of the 30 best institutions in the country, almost 100 degree programs and then moving. Um, that's all what we've, we've produced. But I think it starts at the why. And I think the why is that we just saw a better option. We saw a better way to do things. I think that's really interesting because like after um, being at Noodle for four years, so just seeing that that's like, you know, it is almost just like that idea, like the theory, the hypothesis has almost been like kind of just like something people are like, oh, mm, okay. Like, you know, continually sort of just keep taking notice of us in that way. So, yeah, it's just kind of um, neat. Yeah, sort of that, you know, you, you're you one of the early folks and kind of knowing it's like, okay, this sort of theory and the hypothesis is continually mm-hmm. playing out and being proven and sort of evolving and oh my you know, gosh. With different yeah. kind of part. Yeah, different partners and programs and all that kind of stuff. So very exciting to see. And being one place for four years. I mean, that's, that's like, for me, I'm like, that's for a reason. Like, you know, it's, it's been really cool. Cause I mean, you also, it also feels good, right? You're actually, you know, if we, if we do this right, if we, if we really solve these problems for the universities and their students, like the world's better and not, mm-hmm. not, not everybody outside of ed tech gets to say that I, I, we're not going to pick on industries, but not everybody can say what I just said about their industry. Right. And I think that there's some altruism in there that, that, that all just feels good. Through, you know, your storied career, uh, you know, particularly in education, education technology, um, you know, uh, what I understand is there's like, you've met a lot of interesting people, which sort of, you know, as part of the sort of like pitch of uh, Noodles podcast, uh, the most interesting people in higher education. So I'm just curious, as like a podcast nerd and somebody who's been doing this for a very long time, like yeah. what was the inception about doing that? Because I think it's like, yeah, like that premise could be many things, but you chose to go down the podcast route. So just talk me through that. So if I can be honest, my day job was bored. I was bored for a couple of weeks uh, in the middle of the pandemic when everything was shut mm-hmm. down. Um, and, you know, my my intellectual curiosity, curiosity was up and I was talking to uh, a few um, younger employees. I was like, you know, what should we do? Right. We have we have a little bit of time on our hands until 
we can meet with people again. Like we hadn't really shifted to remote work. We were all trying to figure out what was going on in like April of 2020. Uh, and someone said, you know, let's, let's do a podcast. I was like, uh, okay. Like, you know, Dustin has his and that's, it's pretty darn good. I don't know if we're going to beat that one. Um, <laughs> like what, what could we possibly do it on? And, uh, you know, we, uh, we noodled on it. I'll, I'll go ahead and just get that pun out of the way once. Um, mm-hmm. We noodled on for a little bit. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized it's, it's not about necessarily education. It's not about noodle. Uh, it's about the people changing higher ed, the people that are actually running it, the transformative people. And I, you know, in my, in my day job, I, I speak a lot with presidents, with provosts, with deans all day. And what I've learned in the, in the not so professional setting, uh, when we get to talk about our lives is how interesting these people are. They, uh, their accomplishments, their accolades are one thing, but who they are, um, as an ethos, um, and then who they are individually is fascinating. Like they have more complex backgrounds than anybody you've ever heard of. Not only are they published, but they are obsessed with salsa dancing or they are con- mm-hmm. concert pianist, or they were a former police sniper, or uh, they almost bought the uh, the Grizzlies, the basketball team, or they were an economist because uh, all because they saw the price of bread change in their home country of Turkey. And like you get these stories and you're like, wow, like that's some pretty interesting stuff. I wish more people got to hear this, but not everybody's talking to you all. And I think by nature, uh, the leaders of higher ed um, are not that not that vocal about themselves because they have such a strong responsibility for their students and their, you know, their universities. And it clicked. Mm-hmm. We're like, let's, let's tell these stories. Let's get these, let's get folks out there and have them talking about themselves. And of course it's hard to get them to talk about themselves too much. They want to talk about what they're up to at their universities, which is kind of fun. Like on my show, it's like, I have to tell them like, all right, we're going to, we're going to push on you. Like I, I need you to talk about you. And like, that's not easy for them. They, they always want to bring it back to their mission, which is great. But Sometimes we are we're able to get it out of them. So that's the whole origin story. And now we, you know, nowhere near as many episodes as you have, but I think we're at like twenty some, and um, we're getting there. It's 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 really been a ton of fun to do it, and it's like yeah. the best use of two to three hours a month for me. I think absolutely. Um, well, yeah, and I think it's like yeah, like kind of like carving out like a unique kind of niche because I think like all the other shows would be the ones where they go on to talk about what they're doing and all that. So it's like that you're kind of steering them more towards like, you know, who are you that makes you sort of, you know, lead your institution the way that you do right. and, right. you know, stay balanced and all those sort of things. So that is just sort of a fun sort of addition because I, I, you know, because certain people have had on, I'm like, um, you're kind of doing like the podcast circuit. Like, you know, I've been thinking <laughs> lately where like, you know, because it's like this is like something else where it's like, OK, yeah. coming from a person who's been like podcasting for a few more years, like I have people who have like, you know, their PR folks or some firm reaching out and being like, hey, we want our like, you know, CEO or someone, you know, whomever to be on the show. And I'll be like, yeah, you know, yeah, let's work it out. And that's, you know, convenient for me. But I also see where it's like, oh, okay, you reached out to everybody else too. And maybe you're having the same conversation many times. I'm like, right. All right. Right. This is going to continue. Maybe next year I need to like, you know, throw in a couple of little curveball questions or something. Um, Because I think like it, it becoming enough of a pattern, you know, now I'm sort of like, kind of realizing ah, it versus just like, oh, this is, this is so great. Like yeah, I can just get guests handed to me and then, you know, it's like, oh, they're doing, you know, doing a couple other shows. Like it's not a big deal. Um, so yeah, that, that's just kind of a kind of funny piece of it. But we've had a couple of those. We've had a couple folks that their, their agencies reach out. Um, but it doesn't, it hasn't gone with the vibe of the show. Like I, mm-hmm. I, don't, I, I haven't wanted to, 
have like pre-scripted questions or like them have like these pillars that I have to hit on. Like the, the prep for the show is really more like we, we just have a conversation for 30 minutes to figure out what, what we're going to talk about. And, and I, that's interesting. I, I don't know. I guess the, I'll turn the question on you. Like what, what are you going to do about that? Are you, are you, is there, is there a way to adjust the way it comes to you or do you have to make a, a more of a binary decision? I think, yeah, thankfully I think it, it you can definitely, because like they're coming to you for something. So you can be like, okay, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it this way. And I think like that maybe for me, like has just been a morsel of sort of confidence over time because like, I've not necessarily had people be like, okay, here's what you're going to ask my client and like whatever else I'm going to be like, yeah, I mean, we can do it. We'll talk about this. I'll send you questions, you know, a week in advance and, you know, just let me know if you need anything else. And it's sort of like, you know, eases the lift one for like they came to me and i was just like all right how about we do this day and this time and they're like that's great and i'll be like you know okay then i'm gonna figure out what we're gonna talk about and all that because like i guess even since you're speaking about like maybe encountering this before like subconsciously like i almost like intercept it before they could even offer <laughs> to be like okay ah. so we drafted all these questions or something i'm like yeah, take control. i'll do it i got it yeah. like um so yeah, I don't think it's like a binary because like it's just been so helpful to bring on a lot of diverse people, but still within education or ed tech uh, to have these people just being like served up to me, you know, versus having to like what I did the first couple of years, like chasing people down and just being like people who I know or um, those sort of things. So I'd never want to like turn off that spigot, but I, I am certainly at a point now where I'm like, eh, I don't know, I've kind of talked about that topic enough or, you know maybe next year, you know, like sort of like kicking the can down the road or just sort of like saying like, I don't, I don't know if this would be a, a great fit. So, um, hmm. yeah, it's definitely like good that like, yeah, you know, I think from both of our experiences, even like just a different 10 years of podcasting, having a very like kind of clear vision for what you want the show to be. And yeah, so it's just helpful, I think, to kind of distinguish too, because there, there is just so many like, you know, what feel like sort of promotional shows out there and stuff um yeah, yeah i'm just have to, have to yeah. stay above the fray i guess you, you, know? you can hear it too when you when you hear a lot of these like for at least for me like i i have my mm. you know my five podcasts i love and every once in a while you hear you hear your the podcast you love get a little too scripted and like uh you're, you're kind of like wait what is this this is this isn't a conversation this is this is clearly an advertisement <laughs> or this is clearly like somebody's trying to be you know decisive with my my decision or make my decisions for me and i uh, i get a, mm -hmm. my my spidey senses go off yeah and honestly it's like yeah i've had some of my shows you know some of the episodes of my show like that where it, it's just the idea of like how they prep where it's like okay you prepped a little too hard like exactly like literally yeah. reading off your notes versus like having it guide you and then i mean at certain points for like podcasting it's like i guess really it's different from like you know like a corporate show let's sort of like hey it's our company putting this on so it's just sort of like you know you know, within our control versus like, oh, this is like a content creator trying to like, you know, make their living and all that where like the people that have those like promotional stale episodes, I'm like, man, I, ho I hope you got paid for this because like the, all they're doing is like running a commercial on your show, like just talking about like, hey, our thing does this and that. It's so great. And like, um, so yeah, well, and I guess this kind of segues to what I want to talk about is just like, you know, you are new to all this and you've been sticking with it, like whether it's from sort of the production side or through like these conversations obviously you kind of knew that these you know deans and provosts and presidents had sort of interesting backgrounds and stories and all that but like what's something unexpected that you've learned from doing the show sure 
um, everybody compares themselves to other people. So I'm going to start, start from that position, but, um, I'm so impressed with academics memory recall. If I, cause we don't, we don't script these, these, these episodes and I'll ask right. them really specific questions about a point in time or a name or a book or something like very specific stuff. And they recall so quickly. And I'm really jealous of how much, how much superpower they have there. Like I, like this forewarning, don't ask me too many specific questions about like my past or anything. I don't know if I can give you exact <laughs> dates or names. So like, um, don't, don't put me through that, but they can. And that's like a, it's a really interesting thing to experience when you're interviewing someone. I think a lot of people, if you're listening to the show, you might, you might wonder like how much is scripted or how much did you let them know ahead of time? And I got to tell you, it's zero. I'm just, I'm just mm-hmm. going for it. And they're able to, to roll with the punches in ways, uh, like, when you're being recorded and you're representing an entire university as the, as the leader, that's gotta be really, that's gotta be a ton of pressure and they just go with it and they're really good. And like that, I don't know. I just didn't expect that. The second thing is I just didn't expect I'd like it so much. Um, I was, mm. I'll be honest. I was a little hesitant. I was like, I don't know guys podcast kind of, I don't know if that's my thing, more of a one-on-one person. But uh, what I've found is it's, it's gotten me out of my comfort zone. Uh, I felt really vulnerable. My hands were sweaty the first few times. I was like, I don't know. I don't know if you felt that way early on, but I, mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. like, I'm, I'm nervous here, right? I'm nervous on this one because I've never, <laughs> I've never been giving the interview. I've, I've, I always get to be the one with questions written down ahead of time. So like, I, I'm just, I guess the, um, just the experience, the, uh, the personal experience of it all is really, it's really fascinating. Yeah, I, I, I share that trait, I think, and I don't know like what it is, but where it's like I can remember, you know, random facts about like movies and TV shows and all that. But like my personal life, I'm just like, oh, I mean, yeah, I kind of I remember that or whatever. So it's like <laughs> I could never write like an autobiography. Like I couldn't write enough that I remember. I'd just be like, I don't know. You know, I grew up and then I went to school and then, uh, you know, yada, yada, yada. And now I'm here. <laughs> like, like I don't I don't have like, yeah, like that clear recall and everything. But um so at least, we, you know, we have that in common, but, uh, okay, good. So you're not going to test yeah. me. You're not going mem- <laughs> to no, 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 no. do a memory flex. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, well, and yeah, and I think that's so interesting too, where like, you know, the idea that like you didn't think that it was going to be something that you liked, but you'd ended up liking it. Cause it's like, yeah, I mean, I, I was like so excited to have the opportunity. I mean, I was definitely nervous starting out and sometimes depending on who I'm talking to, I, I can kind of fluctuate on, you know, how I'm feeling, but, um, I, it reinforces for me. Cause like, certainly there's a lot of podcasts out there. There's a lot of noise on social media and everything, but like, you know, podcast is a rel- relatively light, you know, lift or sort of, uh, you know, not, not the steepest learning curve to like get into it. And sure. it's yeah. such a great like storytelling platform. Like it just feels a little bit more intimate than, you know, other things and like it it i feel like it hits for me too like at the right amount of time where like most people are willing to listen to like you know you could obviously like make super short episodes and they're really punchy and then also like you can do it like up to like an hour and i think most people are like willing to you know sit with you for that versus like like yeah a lot of people aren't going to watch like you know an hour-long youtube video where it's like it's the same conversation but like they're like oh i gotta watch this the whole time or if they do it's like well i'm just gonna listen to it i'm gonna walk away and it's like you should have just did it as a podcast, I guess, because like, you know, you know, depending on like, is, is the video adding anything, maybe, I don't know, but like podcasts, <laughs> it's just like, it's just right. It kind of Goldilocks into like, it's going to be the right amount of time and the right kind of like delivery method for 
yeah, like telling these interesting people exactly. stories. Exactly. And something something else I was gonna mention too is that like like you said, these people so often like don't showcase those parts of their lives, but I think it is so important for like generally for education, but especially for like the people who are part of that campus community to feel like their president, their provost, their dean is just, like is a human being. Like they have a life and interest and all that. So it's like, yeah, they don't feel as though they're just these sort of like you know larger than life figures that are sort of inaccessible and you know whatever. It's it's you know just humanizing in a way. And I think that that's such a like you know great part of sort of the the storytelling that you're doing about these people's uh, lives and everything. So right. um, well, higher ed. If you if you look at all of their CVs, right? It's it's your how many times have you been published? Right, the rate at which you're published. Or where did you go to school? What was your PhD or EDD in? Like nowhere in their bios does it say, you know, what what inspired you to pivot into higher ed, or uh, what are your fears, or what was it like growing up in another country? Like that, it's just it's not in their nature to put those narratives, those anecdotes, that stuff forward. It's like as a you know, as an industry. It's more about your, your pedigree, I think, because by the nature of things, it is a pedigree producing um, system. Mm-hmm. And so they, they don't really have the opportunity, like until they speak on a stage or until they go on a podcast. It's it's not, it's it's, it's often not about them. It's about or mm-hmm. it is about them. It's but it's, it's more about their accolades, not about who they are as people. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, I always just like. And even like like with celebrities and stuff, like when you re- really get a good opportunity to have that sort of like fireside chat kind of thing where it's just like, okay, it's just you and me up on a stage. And yeah, there's like thousands of people in the audience or watching online or whatever. But it's just like, hey, let's just have a good conversation and like, you know, talk about the things that that mm-hmm. matter and that we can all kind of like relate to and stuff. So, yeah, yeah it's super cool. And so building on kind of the, the previous question, like, do you feel like there's a way I'm just curious, like. Because I know my answer, I guess that's what I'm sort of curious of, if, if you have one, um, of like how you think it's helped you in your day to day life professionally or maybe personally. But like, um, yeah, just obviously like you, you jumped in to get out of your comfort zone. Do you feel like it like hmm. gave you some sort of yeah. like professional or personal lesson about how to sort of navigate sure. the world? Um, okay. So I'll, it has. I'll lean on something my, my wife and I always say. Um, so my my wife, uh, Alexis, is, is Greek. And so a part of the, the Greek community, there's like this idea of philotimo or, you know, where Philadelphia came from, right? Bro- like brotherly love. Mm. Um, and it's, we have this thing where we say, if, we, if we're both in agreement about somebody um, or something, we always look at each other and we say, well, well, we don't know the whole story. And that's allowed us to like, we're, if we're both getting opinionated, if we're both like fixated on something, we're like, well, you know, that, that person might be that way or that situation might have unraveled this way because of something we don't totally understand. Um, and that is proven now by talking to folks, uh, more and more and getting really like having hour long conversations about them is that you don't know the whole story. Um, we had, um, Richard Heldoppler on, who was the, um, the first vocally gay president of a university. Um, and you could make a lot of assumptions about that. In fact, that wasn't really what he wanted the headline to be. If you, if if you heard that episode, he's like, that's not really Mm -hmm. what he wanted. He just wanted to be the president of William Patterson and, and do his job, but how they, how he got there and what he went through in the Midwest and through um, Catholic school and everything. It's like, just, you don't know the whole story. If you want to read the headline about somebody, um, that's one thing, but what about the last 40 some 50 some years in somebody's life? Um, and it's just kind of reinforced that concept of, you don't know the whole story. 
So for me, it's like kind of built on itself between my conversations with my wife and my conversations with a bunch of deans and presidents and provosts. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense because like it's for me too, like that makes me think of like what I sort of have taken for being a history major for undergrad where it's like, (laughs) yeah, I've never really done anything with it. But like, yeah, yeah. there's sort of like a context to everything, like everything kind of led to something else. And, you know, certainly that also just informs sort of like, you know, yeah, like the culture of a country of sort of like what are their priorities, what do they hold important and whatever you could, you know, kind of delve into that. But then like, yeah, for each person's story, it's like, you know, yeah, you might want to try to like if you want to slap it on the front of a magazine, it's like, yeah, you'd probably put like, you know, first gay president of a university or something. And people are like, ooh, like, you know, let me read. And it's like, yes, that is part of his story, but not the whole story. And, you know, maybe sometimes that's that's another conversation. It's like the marketing of it all. You know, how do you how do you, how do you grab people's mm. attention? But, you know, that's really what I think least, it is. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, so that yeah. is a, a very good lesson is I, I think, yeah, there's, there's always a, a little more to the story. And I think that idea of taking some time to try to figure it out, you know, because like I think right. that, that is much of much of where we right. are, like at least in American society is like, oh, I, I read the headline. So like, yeah, I kind of know what's going on. <laughs> like, you know, like I think we're all a little guilty of that sometimes. But it's like, well, did you read the article? Like, did you did you like, you know, take a couple of minutes to, you know, do that? But um so uh, yeah, I think that's yeah, exactly helpful right. Helpful personally, personally and professionally. Oh, interesting. I mean, I'll, I'll bring beautiful. I'll bring a conversation I was having actually just yesterday um, mm-hmm. with a with a dean in Boston. I'll just say that, and actually, I think he's going to be a guest on the show, so you might hear this story told <laughs> again. But uh, we we're talking about how much innovation we've seen. I won't go into all the nuance of the conversation. It was it was about. Um, I mean, you're kind of an audiophile, like so. It was actually interestingly, it was about sound and how sound mm-hmm. creates emotion, and how if you wanted to make a hospital better, you could make the sounds better, right? And just mm-hmm. make people feel better. But anyway, so but we were talking about how much innovation really just comes from from one deviation away in history. So like a lot of the things are just repeats, and so like if you want to do it, like release a new album, sometimes it's a lot of samples from just older music. Like you go back mm-hmm. to um, to Second Line in in New Orleans and you bring in those beats and you bring them back and now you have Manny Fresh <laughs> and, and, like, and like how much is just brought back into context into today. And so I think um, I'm just kind of responding to your point around, around history, right. And how mm-hmm. um, so much of uh, so much of the, the pieces of this are actually there are, they're already there all along. Somebody just looked back far enough and said, Oh, that was a good idea then maybe it'll be a good idea now. Uh, and I'll just change it up. And I think that's kind mm-hmm. of a, a red thread that runs through a lot of these conversations as well. You can just kind of see how they reached back into their childhood to then implement a concept on campus. Yeah, it was a yeah, bit of a tangent. Somebody, Sorry, but I think- no, 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 no. Because it's, it's, I'll like sort of put the cherry on top of it. Because yeah, like as a Please. person who like, because I love uh, TikTok because so much of it is like audio driven. You know, and like there's people on there that do. Um, and, you know, people are doing this for a long time, but like doing like remixes and mashups and yeah, certainly even like just other songs that are sampling stuff. So it's like, like, yeah, like, you know, what's old is new again or whatever, you know, like yeah. I just, I love that sort of thing. Yeah. Where it's just like, you know, sometimes it like definitely like brings up an emotion because it's like, oh, well, that, I mean, that song, you know, when it came out was like this, but now they're smashing it together with something else and it like creates something new, you know? Exactly. Um, so yeah, it's really cool. Um, but as we're winding down, I feel like we'll kind of move on a little bit from like the podcasting conversation. But, you know, it's a very turbulent time for higher ed. You have an interesting vantage point, obviously, mm-hmm. from, you know, a storied career uh, in education technology, working with universities and sort of looking out sort of 
you know, across the whole kind of ecosystem here. So I'll just give this question to you in a very general way. Take it as you will. What are you watching right now during this turbulent time for higher ed? That's a tricky one, but I'll, I'll, I'll do my best. So I mentioned early on, like my backgrounds in startups, like, and I, that's a whole different conversation around why I just adore the concept of startups. But something mm -hmm. I heard a while back, um, I think it was Sean Parker, uh, the guy who started like Napster and then went on to Facebook. But his thing was like, startups are like chewing glass. It's actually pretty disgusting. I'm just going to preface, like, <laughs> just get ready. But it's like chewing glass. Eventually, you just learn to taste your own blood. Um, and it's kind of taught a lot of people that are in such turbulent places as startups often are um, that it's never as good as you think and it's never as bad as you think. It just is. Um, and so, like, I, if you look back at 2021 when everyone was saying, oh, well, you know, it's all going to be about courses online, like short courses online that stack. And it's all like, oh my God, everything's booming. Oh my God, everything. It's all great. It's all great. Everyone's going to want to watch a bunch of content. And now you're seeing stock prices change in a lot of those mm -hmm. companies. And you're seeing um, a push towards degrees again. And now the question is, oh, are we going to see a recession or degrees coming back? And if you can stay out of the frenzy of it all, um, life's a little bit more peaceful. Uh, and I think, yes, it's turbulent, but it's not it's not as bad as we think it is. And it's not, it wasn't as good as we thought it was. It just is. Um, and as long as the trend lines are watched, as long as tuition doesn't outpace inflation, uh, or as long as we prepare P&L statements for the, the birth earth that's coming in higher ed, as long as there's you know some sort of a, um, an intentionality behind it, I think we'll be okay. Um, and the other piece of that, um, higher ed's naturally a pretty self-critical group right? You defend your dissertation. You don't pitch it. And I think there's, there's a lot of self-criticism right now on higher ed um, that, that adds to it. And so, yes, we're seeing enrollment changes. Yes, we're seeing um, a lot of external pressures on higher ed and its public-private partnerships. Uh, but I think the macro trends are more important to watch um, than, than some of these like here and now things. And so like I, I'm it's kind of a nebulous way or kind of an abstract way to, to answer the question. I'm not, not too specific on it, but my general approach is like, let's, let's not, let's not freak out here. Like let's, let's yeah. do what we can um, to control what we can control, be determinate in our outcomes and our mindset. Um, let's look at what people are actually asking for. Are they asking for um, degrees in um, more of knowledge or are they looking right now for more skill? And what does that mean for higher ed's approach and not creating, you know, skilled workforce, but more knowledge thinkers? And is there, are we okay with a bit more of a shift towards, uh, towards the, uh, the, towards the former? Um, what do you think? Um, is that too, yeah, yeah. I mean, zoom I in on any yeah. of that? Like, do you want to be, yeah, get, or be I think, punchy? <laughs> I can be punchy too. Yeah. Um, well, no, cause I think that is interesting is that like, you know, you sometimes see just, yeah, like, you know, different startups or different things where it's like they'll just like get a bunch of money because i think like it's one of the things where you know i think education higher education is getting more global and i never i don't think i've ever heard anybody say it um so i don't even know how to pronounce it but like the indian company baiju i think mm -hmm. um or like they were getting all this money and like acquiring all these other companies but then like they got sort of like smacked with reality and like you know 
I feel like it's like, well, yeah, maybe they'll survive. But then it's like they lost all this like sparkle and stuff that was like grabbing headlines. And it's just like, yeah, like it comes down to almost like sort of like that, like boring side of it of sort of just like, okay, like, are you focused? Are you staying the course? Are you like noticing the trends, seeing what happens and taking your cues versus like, yeah, like people who are just like leaping at the first thing that kind of comes by and is shiny. And it's like some of them and like very few of them, I think have that work out and other folks it's like yeah you like threw all this money you hire all these people but you have to lay people off or like you know all like just all these because i think that's what's like interesting to me is that like education included all these tech companies like there are a lot of the ones that are grabbing headlines with like these huge layoffs and i I very much respect organizations that like stay lean for as long as they can and like Hmm. almost like hire to the work better versus like you know they just clearly got too bloated too quickly and then yeah as your valuation drops or whatever you're like uh, i don't know 20 30 percent of our team has to go immediately and it's like i i still can't understand as sort of like this lay person of like you know i've never been in those sort of rooms and those conversations i'm like like man did it really just sort of like slip through your fingers that quickly you know like you really just i don't know like so i think that that is the headline is like navigating this like turbulent and very sort of like you know sort of unexpected time you know like i don't know if anybody has a super clear idea of what's coming next but like yeah like there's a reason why these higher institutions have stuck around for as long as they have and there is always going to be value in a four-year degree but the way that people get them is going to change i think so like yeah it's like let's find where we can be helpful and not to get too caught up in the trends. Cause I think like, especially in higher ed, like it's probably going to take a while to like really like set in. So, you know, cause I'm starting to see, and I'd love to talk with somebody about it, but like um, the idea of building a meta university, you know, in VR. So I've like seen people talking about mm. it, but then I'm like, no one's talked about, I was like, so are you sending headsets to everybody? Like, how is anybody getting here into like, to be immersed in your virtual reality? Because it, like, it takes, expensive hardware and a pretty good computer to like actually yeah. do it right and not be like well actually you're just doing it on your web browser you're just sort of like it's like a point and click adventure but it's like our campus but virtual like so everybody kind of talks about like all the potential and i'm like yeah but like what is it going to take to get there and are you taking all these people's money <laughs> and like you know several years from now yeah like vr headsets are cheaper or something or like like i just want one person to say like how is everybody getting into this virtual reality? Like, like I, I listened, I was like two or three podcast episodes and nobody actually said like, yeah. So like our old computer lab's going to get turned into a VR lab or something, you know, like I'd be like, cool. Thank you. Like, that's all I wanted, but they didn't get there. I, I don't know why. I, I mean, I, I like to think of myself as a, a bit of a technologist and futurist. Um, so I'm a fan of VR. Yeah. I, I think it, it, I've, as a yeah, as yeah. a person that's used it plenty myself, I think it's a lot of fun. But starting with where do we put the VR? It's the wrong place to start. Like, but like, yeah. what are you trying to accomplish? Right? Or do you have a solution in search for a problem, or do you have a real problem? And like, I think that you know, again, general statement, but I think that's really where we need to start. Is like, what are what are we trying to accomplish here? Is it attention issues? Is it uh, like people can't focus, and so we're going to force them to be inside of an, an environment? Um, is it you know, practicum and clinical practicum? We don't think we're getting the results we need, and so we're going to apply it here. Like starting with the why, and not the the what, 
in a lot of these cases seems to be a better approach than, or mm-hmm. else to your point, like unless we're going to, then we're going to start putting things where they shouldn't be. And you're going to have uh, unintended consequences all over the place. Well said. <laughs> uh, so we have our kind of standard final two questions. So um, we always like to just give kind of a shout out and sharing resources, uh, you know, whatever kind of feels relevant to you. Um, any articles, books, or anything that you want to hmm. share out that we can uh, put in the show notes. Sure. Um, this is going to be um, a little um, a little edgy, I guess, and also on on theme. Um, but zero to one by Peter Thiel, which might get me booed off your podcast. I know he's his relationship with higher ed isn't the best, um, but I think if you can if you can decouple his thoughts on higher ed, which I disagree with, but his thoughts on creating value going from nothing to something rather than just iterating to the side. Like I think mm-hmm. I, I would, I was talking to uh, a president of a university down in DC recently, and we were talking about the book and he's like, I wish everybody would read this because they would see how hard it is to actually create something from scratch. And they, they really value public private partnerships more and like what you guys are building. And I was like, yeah, great, great. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but I, I think there's something in there um, that, that he, uh, that Peter Thiel has written about in that book in particular, um, about getting getting things stood up, um, since I can't just name one book and it can't just be a pop culture technologist. Um, I think the Teddy Roosevelt trilogy is like a must read. Uh, the Edmund Morris series it starts like the rise of Theodore Roosevelt, and then there's Theodore Rex, uh, and I. Those are just great. It takes you through the whole lifespan of somebody who did a lot of great things, and it, it also speaks very highly of of higher ed early on in his career. And so that's a good one. And then I'll end with the, I don't know if it's associate Dean or whatever it is. I mean, have you seen the Twitter account? That's just like the associate Dean or ass Dean. I think yeah, it's the, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. the thing. <laughs> like, I, I, I like, um, I like uh, humor. That's a little esoteric uh, to a community. And I think that whoever's behind that is, is very funny. Um, uh, so I'll throw that one in there too for you. Yeah, it's a it's a good uh, it's a good follow, and I like because uh, yeah, it, it's I like it in the same way I like like the Onion, you know, where like right. sometimes all it is is like right. I just want a headline that like just gets it perfectly, you know, like it just like right. oh, it's beautiful. Um, so yeah, I mean like them like being limited uh, by Twitter <laughs> character limits and stuff, but they could still just like mm, like really nail it. Yeah. Um, it's so, stuff. Uh, yes. Um, cool. Well then, uh, we'll end with our, uh, final question. Uh, if you have a final thought or call to action, uh, to end this episode with, I mean, you've already shared many great morsels and thoughts and reflections, but, uh, always kind of like to give the final question, the floor to you to end however you'd like. I've been thinking about incentives a lot recently. Um, you know, there's the, the Charlie, I think it was Charlie Munger quote of show me the incentive and I'll show you the outcome. Um, and I think right now you're seeing a lot of resource constraint. You're seeing a lot of, um, to your point, uh, kind of tumultuous and, um, or you might use a different word, but turbulent, um, stuff going on on campuses. And I think now's the time to think about being determinate and incentivizing what people want, uh, to get, to have outcomes. Um, and so what I'm, I'm talking about is it, it specifically, I think employers, um, are going to be brought into the mix a lot more than they have with higher ed and anybody they're partnered with. There are uh, major gaps of employment in healthcare, 
some of tech, um, like I can't tell you how many hospitals I've talked to in the last year, um, some stuff we're working on. They're like, do you have any surge techs? <laughs> and like, that's a new question for me. No, I don't, I didn't know what a surge tech was until last year. Um, and, or nurses, right. Let's just use that. That's more colloquially understood. But I, I think that there's something that's going to happen here where employers are going to be more actively a part of higher ed, um, either whether it is um, incentivizing students to, to go into higher ed for a specific degree, whether it is uh, stacking additional credentials on top of degrees to go into an employer who wants the students in their second, third year, they can be recruited in with additional training on top. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I believe that because of the scarcity of, of resources in higher ed and a lot of the, the financial strife that's going on, you're going to see a lot of innovation around that right now. Um, so I don't know if that means we need more economists as provosts. I don't know if it's simply just building new degree programs. Um, but there, there's something about um, connecting those pieces and using an incentive-based um, structuring um, that I think is going to change the way higher ed operates. Uh, into the employer networks rather than just having a group of 12 regional employers that your your graduates often go to um, and you know them well and you have a like a cordial relationship I think you're going to see a tightening um, of those groups um, and I think if higher ed can can uh, can work within that um, and 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 also the employers can work within that and understand the like the complexities of higher ed and why it's built the way it is and why it's not something they should avoid. But I think if we can get those, those pieces to work together, I think you can eliminate a lot of student debt. I think you can increase the retention that a lot of employers see going from like a one year, one and a half year retention of nurses to four years mm-hmm. um, and building programs that are a lot more uh, durable between them. Like that's, there's something there and there's a lot of really good, folks working on this. I like some of the stuff Career Car was doing. Um, I think uh, our Dean Williams, um, who was at Amazon, um, who's now, I believe, uh, uh, working on some stuff with universities after retirement. Like, There's a lot of people thinking about this stuff right now. And I think that's what you're going to see come out of the, the next five, 10 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I feel like sort of my final thought and your final thought like, hmm. is like, because I think this is what you're saying, like, it kind of goes both ways of sort of like, okay, you work at a place if they need you, if if they need you and or you want to further your education, how can they, you know, be supportive of that through money and also like, time, I feel like, because I, I think trying to fit right. education and working together. So it's like, okay, well, how are we delivering this education? How is your employer supporting you to get that education through like money and time? And then like, yeah, like for you know, a student who's like, yeah, studying to get their bachelor's straight out of high school or whatever. How can we get them into a much more clear pipeline to like, you know, what that employer needs when they need it to, yeah, like get nurses in the hospitals like quicker or um, things like that. So yeah, it's like still just sort of like kind of trying to configure those two sides together and have it kind of flowing both ways. Right. seamlessly as possible and, and, in, um, and in ways that don't you can't you can't screw it up like you have to go into mm-hmm. this with um with quality in mind right you can't adjust NCLEX scores at any at any bit of this right you're going to be under a microscope so if you really create a pipeline like that making sure that the um 
that the uh, the regulations are in place, making sure that the, the quality is there. Like what I, I mean, I don't want to drag this out too much, but like if you even look at like the way what happened with inflation and um, and how a quick decision to pump a lot of money into the economy was part of a lot of this inflation. Like you, you don't want to fix a problem with a solution that causes more problems. Um, mm-hmm. And I think whoever gets at this and whoever does it right is, is going to be a really deep thinker that understands systems uh, and, and the quality of those systems. So, so the accrediting bodies don't, you know, lose trust. Yeah. Um, well, and that's, uh, I feel like a whole conversation for another day, but uh uh, cause yeah, it's a very well put point. And I think I, I just, to put it simply, I agree. I think this, that's very much going to be one of the, one of the stories to follow for these next several years is, you know, the continued evolution of the relationship between education and work and all that good stuff. So, yeah. um, but yeah, thank you so much Lee for, for hanging out and sharing all that you did. And thank you. like I said, uh, to everyone listening, uh, stay tuned for the other side of this crossover episode to come out in the near future. But, um, yeah, it was, really great talking to you it's always uh good to talk about this stuff with you and um yeah just thanks again for making the time thank you dustin i appreciate having me on and i'll i'll be a little less nervous when i have you on mine this was this was all new to me being a guest so (laughs) thanks for putting me through it and being kind thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast make sure to rate review and subscribe so you never miss an episode thanks again for listening and we'll see you in the next episode of the higher ed geek podcast